Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gist of Freedom. Tonight we're going to be discussing the American Slavery Project. I want to remind you that our shows are archived. You can get them free via iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. My guest tonight is Judy Tate. And Judy is a playwright. She's a four-time Emmy Award-winning writer and the creator of Unheard Voices, which is a monologue play with music collectively written for the unknown men, women, and children slaves, indentured servants, and free people who are buried in the African burial ground in Lower Manhattan, New York City. Good evening, Judy. Good evening. How are you? I'm good tonight. Glad you could uh, be with us this evening. Yeah, and, so uh, am I. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Great. Uh, to talk to us about the American Slavery Project. Tell us a little bit more about that, how it got started, what's the thrust, et cetera. Sure, sure. Um, well, the American Slavery Project um, was created uh, in 2011 in recognition of the sesquicentennial of the Civil War. Um, I don't know if I'm sure your listeners know this, but um, in case they don't, um, this 150th anniversary of the Civil War actually set off a lot of activity in the United States. Um, there were uh, southern states um, crying once again for states' rights. They were dressing up in honor of the succession, <laughs> um, having uh, succession balls, um, you know, Capitol buildings like South Carolina Capitol was um, flying the Confederate flag over its building. There were mock inaugurations of Jefferson Davis, um, the Confederate, you know, president. And yes. also in the um, in our own Congress, they read the Constitution and redacted slavery. So, you know, um, <clears throat> they were trying to actually ignore. Um, the fact of slavery, um, as well as uh, certain school districts I know in Tennessee were trying to redact slavery and mentions of it from their textbooks. So this was very, very troubling to um, me as a as a theater artist, um, African American theater artist, and and friends of mine um, for a couple of reasons. Not just the fact of it, but also while this was going on in the political arena. Um, in New York City, it seemed like the theater had suddenly woken up to um, the Civil War, slavery, and there were three main stage productions dealing with the era, and none 
of the productions were, um, none of the plays were written by African-American writers. And this was very troubling. As a playwright who has been interested in this era, um, I had uh, been peddling a play for many, many years, and it had readings and was very well received. And um, a friend of mine who is the um, artistic director of the New Black Fest, and um, his name is Keith Adkins. Keith and I were talking, and he also, I found out, was interested in that era. And many, many of our um, African-American writer friends were interested in this era and had been, trouble, had, had been having trouble interesting, um, interesting uh, theaters in this work. And then suddenly theaters were interested, and then the black voice was muted, so to speak. And so we said to ourselves, this is not okay. And um, we set about creating uh, a series of some of the best plays that we knew by some of the best African-American voices in um, <clears throat> New York at the time. And we had our first reading series um, in uh, 2011 of five plays uh, written about the era. Um, and it was phenomenally successful. People kept saying, oh, my goodness, this, you, know, you need to do more of this. We, we need these stories. We need to see these stories dramatized. We need to hear these stories. And um, so that's how the American Slavery Project was born. Uh, Keith is still the artistic director of the New Black Fest, and I became the producing artistic director of the American Slavery Project, which is now um, an independent organization. And we are a theatrical response to revisionism in this country's discourse around slavery, the Civil War, and Jim Crow. Okay, and um, tell us a little bit more about this Unheard Voices, and also uh, let our audience know uh, some information about the African burial ground that's there in lower Manhattan. And, oh, okay. Uh, and the Unheard Voices. Okay. Well, you know, um, the African burial ground is very is a very wonderful and interesting place. It's um, between Broadway and Elk, Duane and Reed Streets in Lower Manhattan, and it is where um, 17th and 18th century African descended people um, had to bury their dead, and it was um, six miles outside of what was then the city limits of New York. You know, a lot of people don't realize that there was slavery in the North. You know, they, you know, we think of slavery and we think of, you know, big sprawling cotton plantations or tobacco plantations or rice, yeah. you know, uh, patties in, in the Carolinas. Excuse me. But, would you repeat <clears throat> Would you repeat the address of the location of the, past, of the uh, burial ground the, again? Yeah, the African burial ground is um, on Broadway um, and Elk Street um, between... Duane and Reed, so you would enter the African Burial Ground Museum on Broadway between Duane and Reed Streets. Okay. And the, um, the, the burial ground memorial is behind that, closer to Elk Street. Um, and in about, about 20 years ago, 419 bodies of these uh, 17th and 18th century souls were um, dug up during the excavation for the federal office building. And this, at, at the time, you know, people didn't, people didn't seem to remember that it had been a burial ground. Now, they dug up 419 bodies, but there are 
um, some estimate, estimates of 10,000 people being buried there. The African burial ground was open for about 100 years from about um, 1680s to 1780s. And, uh. um, yes, it, an enormous number of people were buried there. And 20-some uh, years ago, um, these, well, 419 of these people were, were um, excavated along with, you know, um, the earth. And what's interesting to me is I happened to live down in that area when that was happening. And my husband at the time was a, a person who walked. And he, he came home and at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. He had walked by this, um, this, this place, this, this construction site. And people had found out through word of mouth. And the drums were down there. And they were drumming and drumming. And he said, you have got to, you know, you've got to come and see this. Something's going on. Well, <clears throat> Christopher Moore had... Um, was a journalist at the time, and he had been alerted um, that there was something going on um, by his mother, believe it or not, <laughs> who um, is part Lenape, and that area had been considered um, a Lenape Indian burial ground early on. And uh, yeah, whether this is true or folklore, it, it, what it is, but he um, was a journalist, and he actually um, was told by a couple of the people who were working the area down there that they had been, they had found bones and he broke it to the um, to Fox News believe it or not <laughs> broke it to Fox News and then all the other news outlets found out about it and um, it was years um, trying to get this um, well first it took a while to stop the excavation and then they had to um, do all kinds of things before um, just a few years ago the memorial and the um, and the museum were erected. Um, so a couple of years ago, I went down there after, you know, 20 years later, I decided to go visit this museum and the burial ground. And it's a very lovely memorial. And you can see etched in the stone information from each of the burials because they called an archaeologist, um, a very, um, a very, uh, Credited team of archaeologists from Howard University came and uh, examined every one of the burials and cataloged them. And they did an incredible job um, cataloging all of these people. Um, they found out so many things from their teeth and their bones and the artifacts and the graves. But as I'm looking at the etchings um, on the on the stone, it has the age range of the person. It has whether they're male or female, and it has um, sometimes the you know the the time you know the approximate year that they might have lived. But the thing that stood out to me the most was the fact that none of these people had names. And I'm looking at these etchings, and they look like headstones. And on a headstone, you'd find a name, you'd find um, an engraving of some sort of um, a quotation or something identifying that as an individual person, and nobody knows who these people are. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but there are no extant records of any of these people. And so where the archaeologists did a wonderful job of cataloging everybody, I thought to myself, my goodness, 
These are human beings. Each one of these people had a life, and no one knows who they are. And that is the job of the artist. So I commissioned uh, 17 really wonderful, well-decorated, um, honored playwrights to come down to the burial ground to do research, to have lectures, um, to comb through the archives of the New York Historical Society, and to choose um, one of the burials to write for. And then once they wrote their pieces, actually it was a kind of a long process, I can talk a little bit about it later, but we chose pieces and now we have about um, an 85-minute 80, monologue play with music and and um, percussion that gives life to individual people who were living during that time. And that is what unheard voices are. These are the unheard voices of the 17th and 18th century New Yorkers, African-descended New Yorkers. And what did you want your audience to take away uh, from that experience? Well, you know, um, it's, it, the audiences have been wonderful that, that view this. Um, what I wanted audiences to be able to take away from this is, you know, a lot of times we talk about slavery and we understand we're, we're very familiar with the horrors of slavery and we're very familiar with southern slavery, you know, large plantations and cotton and this and that. Um, but we're not as familiar, familiar with the fact that slavery existed in all of the colonies, and we're not as familiar that, you know, with, with slavery in New York. And we tend to have this kind of monolithic view of what it was, and we don't tend to think about individuals, you know? And that's what I really wanted the audience to take away from it. I wanted them to take away a glimpse of real human beings, you know. Um, I wanted them to, to have, have a sense that they were real people who went about their daily lives, ordinary daily lives, in what we look back on as extraordinary times. But, you know, when you're living life, you're not really aware of the time you're living in. Oh, my goodness, I'm living in this extraordinary time of slavery. You're living your life. You're really trying to make it day to day. You're trying to um, live life, love your family, have a family as best you can under laws and circumstances that were extremely repressive. But you're not thinking of the larger picture. You're thinking of surviving and getting along and loving and laughing and living your life day to day. And that's what I wanted people to, to glimpse. There's nothing worse than you know, working in this time and wagging a finger. You know, what I wanted to do was expose human beings and their lives, and that's what I want people to, to take away from this. You know? also, also, I really, I really wanted, you know, I want our audiences to have their curiosity stimulated. You know? I want them to make a, a connection between... Um, the people who lived in that time and, and the people and experiences that we have today, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in stimulating people's curiosity, especially young people, because they don't really have a sense of, of um, how long 
you know, time is. When I go into classrooms, I, I do a lot of teaching for different arts organizations. And when I go into classrooms, you know, kids will go, oh, well, civil rights was like a year or two after slavery. They, they, they don't have a sense of the, the time continuum here. They don't, they, they, it's, it's challenging to put anything into perspective before the year, you know, in which they were born. And when I'm working with high schools, you know, the high, you know, they were born in, like the 1990s, <laughs> so they don't, they don't really have a sense of that. So um, the American Slavery Project, you've established an education program, which you just uh, alluded yeah. to, and talk to us a little bit about that a little bit more, and particularly the importance of the arts in helping uh, to make history come alive for young people. Well, yeah, you know, um, I'm just, Really, really interested in 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 having that them having that experience, having it come alive. So what I do when I take the American Slavery Project into schools, I've, I'm doing a pilot project right now um, that has been generously funded by the uh, Lower Manhattan Cultural Council, um, a program that's called Creative Curricula, and I have been um, granted to create a program for young people that takes them through the very same process that I took the professional writers through in order to create unheard voices. So they are examining the burials at the African burial ground. They're um, learning about the context the, you know, in which this occurred, the history of slavery. They are um, going through the New York Historical Society archives and learning about the nature of slavery in New York. And then they have, cho actually right now, we're at this point right now, where they have, ex they, I brought in cards um, with all of the burials and the contents and the description of, um, uh, of, of the graves, and they have chosen which burial they want to write for. And then they are brainstorming their character, and, um, you know, who they are, the gender, what the disposition of the person was. Like, for example, early in, uh, in the history of uh, African-American uh, slavery or the colonies, um, there were free people. There were half-free people. There were indentures. There were slaves. Um, New York was a very polyglot society, so you had African-descended people uh, speaking different languages, um, depending on where they were from. They were from West Africa. They would speak um, one of many West African languages. They might speak Portuguese or Spanish or Dutch, depending on, you know, if they were uh, working for somebody who was interacting with those shippers, because you know, sh shipping was, you know, a huge industry. So it was, a, you know, they had many different jobs or crafts or skills, and so the students are, you know, coming up with what their particular person might have done as a craft. Um, and then they're deciding why that person is talking, what it is that they have to say, what problem is it is that they have to solve, and what they're going to do about it. And they are going to create their monologues the very same way our professional writers created their monologues, and then choose which order to put them in, and then I'm going to have professional actors come into the school and perform the kids' writing for them. And um, which, as you can imagine, really validates the work. Um, and you know what happened? I, it's amazing. 
the kids were studying the burials and brainstorming their characters, and they were suddenly asking the classroom teacher and asking me as their teaching artist, well, wait a minute, now, I want to do it in this year. What was happening then? Where can I go to find out X, Y, and Z? And that, to me, is education. When you've got kids asking you how I can find out more about this time and this history, that's what I want to see. You know, people go, you know, people, you know, kids say, oh, I'm going to history class. It's not like that at all. You know, when, when you interest them and you spark their imaginations, then they want to know, and history becomes some, something that's alive as opposed to some dead story that they're being forced to, you know, um, memorize and regurgitate some numbers and facts. This become, becomes a living thing, and they're interested in it, and that's, that's what I want to see, especially for our, um, especially for our young African-American boys and girls. Oh, by all means. Miss um, Tate, um, the Gist of Freedom would like for you to come to Philadelphia's Mother Bethel Church's uh, uh, symposium that's going to be on February 1st, 2014. And it's going to uh-huh. be at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Um, I think we really need you to be a part of this project. I'm sure the producer will be getting in touch with you um, to find out your available available availability. I'm sorry. Great. Uh, sounds like an outstanding uh, job that you're doing. And this is in the New York uh, City school system, right? Yes. Um, we're doing this in the New York City school system. And, in fact, we're, we are are being um, invited to work, you know, there, there are schools that are actually asking for our program, you know, and they, they you know, um, hire us to come in and we have a 45-minute show. In fact, in February, February 6th, we'll be working at the Riverdale Country School um, doing a um, version that's suitable for junior high school students. Um, and uh, we have worked at the Calhoun School. We've been hired to uh, give a show there that was for their students and families and the public. And then we also just finished last Monday. We had a wonderful full-length um, program at the New York Historical Society, which I am, that's, it's the second year in, the row, in a row that we've been there. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to go back in February. So um, I'd love all your listeners to... Um, Visit the American Slavery Project's website to to hear you know to learn more about where we will be. I'm sure you know um, we'll have more February bookings because people are now um, looking for content for uh, for um, Black History Month, and we are perfect for that. <laughs> uh, before we get that email address, I need to correct myself in reference to uh, the burial ground that I mentioned there in Philadelphia. It was discovered mm-hmm. under playground. Uh, I read about that, yes, yes. Uh, the museum is sponsoring this program to and this panel to discuss the burial ground, which is the oldest uh, black church's burial ground in Philadelphia. Now, the African Slavery Project has a website. Could you give us that address? Yes. Um, let me check. It's the American Slavery Project. Um, <laughs> I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a common uh, uh, misspeak that people have. Yes, we have a website. It's www.americanslaveryproject.org. 
Now, are there um, can schools, uh, teachers who might want to get involved in this, can they still do that in the New York um, area? Yes, um, they're welcome to um, write to us, um, info at americanslaveryproject.org. Um, we would love, you know, love for you to um, contact me, and um, I would be very happy to talk to you about um, a program in your school, how, to, how you can get a program in your school, um, how you can see, you know, either the education program or have the um, performance come to your school or uh, a combination of both, you know, depending on what, you know, what, you know what's important for, for your school to do. What kind of um, bumps in the road that you uh, ran into in getting this established are the obstacles and challenges, if any, that you've had to overcome in order to get this up and running very smoothly? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> as with any any project that, well, let me let me put it this way: as with any canvas that has no paint on it, <laughs> the first thing you have to overcome is your um, own demons. You know, it is. Oh, here's here's the picture I want to see on that blank canvas. How how do I do this, and can I do this? You know, when I first thought this this up. Um, I was actually going to do it all. <laughs> I wrote a grant proposal, and I proposed, oh, I'll write several monologues for all of these different burials. Well, and, you know, and have a couple of actors, and we'll rehearse with this in that way. But as things went on, I quickly realized that that was overambitious, you know, that I would not be able to write all of these, and that it should not indeed be a single-voiced project. Very, you know, I allowed... Thank goodness, something <laughs> something you know came over me that made sense, and I I allowed the burial ground to speak to me. And just as there were many individuals buried in the burial ground, I said, "Oh, we need many voices for this project." And so that's when I expanded it to more writers. And as I shared my excitement for the idea, I got so much interest <laughs> that I ended up. Um, um, accepting and commissioning 17 writers as the sort of freshman class of the American Slavery Project. So this one, this piece is a, a collectively written, um, very collaborative project. And, um, and I, I also have to say, mention that I would not be able to have done any of this if it were not for um, my partner, Sean Renee Graham. Um, it, it, she's um, my partner in this project. And uh, a wonderful dramaturg, and she did a lot of research and got a lot of the material that the writers were able to use in in their research in uh, writing these monologues. And she's just a wonderful dramaturg, and also the director of the um, the play, uh, Melissa Maxwell, who is my frequent uh, collaborator, my frequent partner on many of the uh, plays that I write. Um, she was also instrumental in really making this the very professional, top-notch, aesthetically superior uh, piece of art that you see on the stage. Um, additionally, Sean Renee, Sean Renee Graham got a um, uh, a grant to uh, a dramaturgically driven grant to put these monologues into a volume and publish them. 
so that African American actors who want to who are asked to do say classical pieces or you know seventeenth eighteenth century pieces for auditions, they will have um, pieces in their own voice, um, which right. is not Judy, I hate, I hate to cut you off, but we have uh, we're running out of time. Only oh, have a... I'll come back and talk anytime. You're fabulous. <laughs> now that book you just mentioned has it been published? Not yet. We're in the midst of we're putting it together um, as we speak. Within the next year, you'll be able to see it. And as soon as it is, I will drop you an email and let you know. Great. Why don't you? Why don't we end this by you giving us again? Um, your uh, contact information and also the address of the museum. Okay. Um, the American Slavery Project's website is www.americanslaveryproject.org, and you can contact us at info at americanslaveryproject.org, and the African Burial Ground in Lower Manhattan is on Broadway. Um, between Duane and Reed Streets, and you can easily find that online. Let me see if I can get you the exact address. 290 Broadway, 290 Broadway. And they have a wonderful um, tour and education program there. Thank you, uh, Judy Tate, for joining us uh, this evening on The Gift of Freedom. Uh, we're out of town, and we're certainly going to have you back in the future to talk okay, more about this. Okay, great. Okay. Okay, I Thank look you. forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.